Welcome, everyone. We're having a little conversation here. It's Ken and Mark. We're talking about asana today. So, Ken, what's your perspective on asana? Well, let's talk about the, the common understanding of, of asana and kind of start from there. Sure. Um, so, common understanding of asana, common use of that term in the yoga world is pose, bodily pose, bodily position, right? So, okay, there's some validity to that, that uh, at least the physical practice of the yoga that is most popular outside of uh, India is the bodily position. So the idea of putting ourselves into a bodily pose so that we can open up our body or um, in that shape attain some sort of benefit. I think mm-hmm. is the common understanding. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen them on magazines, we see them all of the shapes right. of the body. Right. So for most people, they come to yoga class, they do yoga poses, uh, they see it as an exercise form. So you put the body in a posture, it helps you get skinnier or stretchier or, you know, gives you toned muscles. I mean, I was talking to someone recently and they're like, yeah, dating this woman, she does yoga five times a week. She's got a great yoga body. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, makes sense, I guess, you know. <laughs> right. Right, so... So you understood like, what that person meant because it's a phenomenon in, in culture that right. what's the ideal body one might uh-huh. have from doing uh-huh. yoga. Yoga pose equals yoga body or right. something like that. Yeah, so okay, so this is function. like... Yeah, I mean, I think we have to start there in the discussion of what asana is and, and say that, okay, there's some... There's some validity to just the simple fact of working the body through all of these different positions mm-hmm. and the musculature and, and body uh, control and coordination it takes to put our body in, in right. numerous different positions. It is a good form of, of physical exercise. Yeah. Okay. So asana in the West is like body posture exercise technique right. or something. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the, the idea of pose... There's more to it, right? Because it's right. not just a, it's not just a body exercise technique. When we think of a pose, a pose has a particular attitude. It has a particular uh-huh, kind uh-huh. of um, quality that it's conveying externally by the by the way it looks. Mm-hmm. So there's an aesthetic quality, like a sculpting body, sculpting. Yeah, you if you if you're in a photo shoot with a model and they say strike a pose or whatever. <laughs> You know, right. or yeah, a sculpture or... Right, or even to convey a, an aesthetic. Yeah, to convey an aesthetic, yeah. a dancer or whatever. It's to convey a certain, mm-hmm. you know, a certain look. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is certainly a part of modern yoga. I just have a thought, which is like the yoga poser. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, we know because there's a whole thing around yoga, right? It's an image now too. It's like, oh, I'm a yogi. I'm a yogini. Like, I wear this kind of clothes. I wear my little lemons, and I have my halter top thing, and I live this kind of lifestyle, and I have this kind of incense at home, and I drive a Prius, and I'm on Instagram, and this is my yoga pose. Right. Like, it's just a construction or sculpting of a certain image, and somehow the yoga poses 
kind of you know what I mean like it kind of has that kind of flavor yeah, of like yoga I'm being pose. something I'm sculpting myself into this thing right poser like a like a verb <laughs> not, not the noun not a poser like oh you're a poser you're a poser because you do yoga poses right well both <laughs> that too Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, I think we digress because there's so much more to this idea of asana that to leave it there just seems kind of uh, shallow and and a bit uh, short-changing what, what mm-hmm. really could mm-hmm. be there, right? So if that's, if we're just looking at what that word means and how poses in yoga are applied in modern yoga, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. You do these right. positions because right. they're good for your musculoskeletal system yeah. and, and that makes you look cute. And then maybe if there's a little deeper approach, mm-hmm. talking about how that affects your nervous system or your endocrine system or maybe mm-hmm. your organs is, is implied. But still yeah. it's about the improvement of the way your physical body looks right. and functions. Right. Fair enough. We all want to be physically healthy and right. it's important to be physically healthy because we can enjoy our life more. Mm-hmm. But... To stop there and think that that encompasses what the word asana means and the concept meant in terms of its origin in yoga, to me is still, we're very short changing still. Mm-hmm. There's a lot right. more. Well, yeah, agreed, totally. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you just mentioned a moment ago how um, yoga asana is kind of like health medical applications too have become very popular. So a lot of people see it as like, oh, I have back pain. You know, I mean, if you just kind of do an inventory of like all the people who came into your class that you've asked, oh, why are you here? Or they kind of come and talk to you after class. You know, oh, I'm not flexible. You can kind of get a sense of people's associations with what asana and yoga is. Mm-hmm. And it's primarily some sort of body sculpting, flexibility, body training, um, sort of a way to reduce pain in the body. Right. Most people would probably come to asana for that purpose, you would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. your experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that the entry point in in the West for yoga is is mm-hmm. some sort of body suffering, right? And wanting to improve it. Yeah. And and again, I think I think that that's that's valid. Right. We could have a completely different discussion as to what is the best strategy for approaching mm-hmm. physical ailments and right. whether or not yoga poses are the best approach. And we yeah. we might need to go through some common ailments or common injuries or difficulties with physical health and mm-hmm. see whether or not yoga would be the best solution. Right. right. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It will really depend on, yeah. on the type of yoga and the type That'd of like condition. conversation. Maybe that's have. a big conversation. Yeah. It would be interesting to have that conversation because sure. yoga therapy is so huge. And I think that there is an assumption in our culture that yoga is sort of good for everything. Mm. And that might be true if the application of the yogic techniques are a good match for the particular person and health condition, but a general blanket application of yoga, physical yoga postures, intensely done, probably not the best for everyone, for medical situation, for every medical situation. Yeah, I totally agreed. Um, So, yeah, go ahead. Well, when you look at asana and then, I mean, a lot of people who practice asana, I feel like over time, say you're doing yoga for, I don't know, four years, five years, I think it's unavoidable that at some point you encounter some other aspect of yoga, right? Whether it's the chanting or some of the philosophy or the spirituality around it, right? And I'm just wondering how a lot of people in their own minds reconcile those two things. You mm. know what I mean? Like, where is the connection point between body sculpting, <laughs> yoga posering, <laughs> and, and the spirituality or the, or the yeah, or the 
or the philosophy that goes with it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a... Well, yeah, if you look at all the other exercise cultures mm-hmm. in, in, that exist, sort of in, at least in the West, yeah. they, don't, they don't bridge that gap. Right. Right? If it's mm-hmm. a physical culture exercise, it's for physical culture, and mm-hmm. people don't bring their philosophy per se, or it's not a religious experience per se. Yeah. Or, so yoga walks this... Uh, strange straddles this strange razor blade yeah. where it has a spiritual component that could be conceived of as religious mm-hmm. that's another topic whether or not it's religious or spiritual but you know for some people it might be you know feeling too religious for them and then they don't want to do the chanting or they don't want to yeah. do a visualization or right they don't want to even talk about energy mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's a difficult entry point because the cosmology that yoga grew up in was very different than the cosmology of a Judeo, primarily a Judeo-Christian Western scientific based society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then I think it's kind of interesting because what I've also seen from my perspective is, um, the philosophy simply becomes another artifact that people, sort of add on to their to-do list and or image list, right? It's kind of like if you're a hipster, you, you know, you do this and you do this and you have this kind of identity. Same thing with yoga people. It's like, oh, like I espouse to this non-harming and, you know, I study this philosophy and then I do yoga poses and I eat like this and I hang out with my yoga friends or something like that. Mm. Versus really like, okay, where does, where does the philosophy and the asana actually meet and mm. how do they support each other? And, and as a complete lifestyle or as a complete integrated method. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many people take the time to sort of look into that and, and how many teachers teach it in such a way that seamlessly sort of integrates the philosophy. So the philosophy is not just there and separate from the asana, but there's a point I feel like, um, I feel like you've talked about it a lot, where, where does that meet, you know, in the practice? Yeah. And earlier you were talking a little bit about when we are talking off you know, off the recording, you were talking about asana and the other definition of asana seat and also the sort of kinesthetic exploration that happens in asana. Because I think that's a really great bridge into the philosophy. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think then we, if we're going to leave the definition that an asana is only a pose or a bodily position and expand into the more traditional interpretation of that, then we get this idea of seat that in a sense an asana is something that the yogi sat upon and this is an interesting take so the asana itself isn't the actual yoga or the actual mm-hmm. yogi but right. it's the thing that the yogi sits on like it, literally it would be the meditation cushion right so the person is practicing meditation and the thing that they're sitting on is their asana. It creates the base and the structure mm-hmm. so that they could practice this meditation, this inward mm-hmm. practice right. that gets them in touch with the dimension of their experience that mm-hmm. is subtle. Right. So then we, if we extrapolate that idea of the meditation cushion being the body itself, and now I'm putting myself into a certain position, mm-hmm. what does it mean when that position is my asana well, then that position is is my, the seat of my consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. particular place that I find myself in, in time and space as an embodied being. Right. And am I using that to, to enter into a meditative 
type of experience where right. I become more aware of, right. of the subtle dimensions of my actual embodied direct experience. experience. Yeah. To me, that's what asana is mm. hinting at in the application of physical practice in, in, in all the different Hatha yoga traditions. Right. And, and that's a big gap in understanding and interpretation between something you only do for your musculoskeletal system right. and possibly do to look a certain way to create an aesthetic. Right. And something nice. that you do that anchors your attention and and draws your consciousness deep into the fabric of your physical, energetic, right. emotional, mental experience yeah. and gives you insight into what it's actually yeah. like, what's going on in there. Right. So asana as a seat, a place within the body to situate the consciousness for contemplative purposes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah, it's like uh, mm -hmm. it's an infinite number of meditation cushions. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Right, all these different, different shapes. Shapes. <laughs> yeah, you could stand on your head and be upside down. You could stand mm -hmm. on one foot. You could stand on your hands. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in my understanding, if you're doing that and you're not sitting in the seat of of your center and you're not mm -hmm. fully embodied and paying attention, right, then you sort of lost the connection, the potency yeah. to what that asana yeah. could actually provide you. Nice. With. So this is actually kind of cool because it kind of ties in the concept of be here now or be present, right? Which was like a popular buzzword in the whole spiritual scene years ago or something. Right. Uh, there's a book, The Power of Now, right? Right. And it's, it kind of gives that a more experiential ground. Like, okay, in the practice of engaging in the asana or posture, bringing the awareness and our consciousness to the experience and the sensations and or emotions that you said or thoughts whatever is arising in your experience there and being present with it and being seated in that experience with stability right with some maybe concentration or presence would be the practice yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that's mm -hmm. a that's approaching an understanding of what is implied in that word. It's such a rich, mm -hmm. it's such a rich yeah. word. Yeah. yeah. And like we're getting a little closer, more proximal to the essence of that term or, you know, the integration of yoga asana with the philosophy of yoga. Yeah. I mean, sense. looking yeah. at all of these different practices coming from whether they're from India or they're coming from Tibet or they're coming from China or mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, all of these traditions that were, Growing up over thousands of years, being influenced by Taoism, Buddhism, Hindu yogic um, traditions, bone shamanism, mm. the native sort of pre-classical religions of China that were shamanic based. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and they're all exploring and developing ways of of cultivating the wholeness of the human being. Mm, I like that, yeah. And not just, they understood very fundamentally in all of those cosmologies that the physical body is perhaps one of the most obvious places that the law of change is, is, is evident. Mm -hmm, right. And no matter how much you sort of perfect the physical body, it's, it's going to age, it's going to change, and inevitably it's going to break down and become something else. Right. So as much as you know, Tai Chi or Tibetan yoga or Thai massage or yoga asana have have developed over m millennia into these amazing systems of body cultivation. They never treated the physical 
aspect of the experience separate from the emotional, mental, sexual, social aspects of experience. They were, they were looking at a cosmology of wholeness. Mm-hmm. That was the starting point. Mm-hmm. And so I think this dialogue of, of how we can think about posture as, as part of this cosmology of wholeness, mm-hmm. where we cultivate our whole human being right. as a practice of yoga, is something really important to, to keep on the forefront because our cosmology is mechanistic. Like you, like you said earlier, it's mm-hmm. our cosmology is dualistic mm-hmm. and mechanistic. Right. And again, it, it, we should take a whole hour and talk about the cosmology that we all share right. growing up in a Western mm-hmm. educated society. There's nothing wrong with it, but we need to all understand that we're looking through that lens right, to be self-aware Yeah. to know we have biases and we yeah. have assumptions. Yeah. And when we don't acknowledge those, we bring them to yoga right. and we start, we start a pose off. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, right. It's, that's the thing. It's, I mean, the asana or the yoga we practice in the West is inevitably filtered through our own cultural lens. Because I think culturally we have a tendency, I mean, not every, all of us or anything, but I think it's fair to say there's a tendency towards when we borrow things from other cultures, we tend to filter it through our own lens and then adapt it to what feels appropriate to us and sort of cut and paste a little bit. Yeah. And in that process, though, when you change worldviews, you can lose a lot, right? Because there's something unique about that. What you're saying is that cultural context or that worldview context, say in the Indian tradition or Taoist tradition, that's built into the cultural context, has something to do with the technology, the asana, the, the qigong, the tai chi itself. So adapting all of it together and attempting to sort of view the practice from that other perspective, that sort of foreign, quote-unquote, cultural perspective, learning that language, learning that cultural perspective, you know, um, plays a role in helping us understand what that practice is. And when we take those postures and we take them out of the theory and the, the practice and the culture and we just adapt it and throw it into Western culture, it becomes what it's become right now, like you're saying, just a pose-off or an emphasis on aesthetics or the physicality of it only versus... The other aspects yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. and and i mean we've talked a little bit about some of the benefits that can come from that but it would be unfair not to mention some mm-hmm. of the drawbacks to drawbacks and yeah. and potential risks that that come along with that and so i mean we've both have taught yoga for many years mm-hmm. and i've seen a lot of injuries mm-hmm. both physical injuries to the musculoskeletal system right. and more long-term conditions that have developed through yeah. the application of, of yogic techniques mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened had a person had a different framework right. for understanding how to use these poses in mm-hmm. a way that was appropriate for their circumstance. Right, good point. For example, you know, you have someone who... Um, who has who runs hot who tends to be kind of like a type a personality mm-hmm. you know they tend to push push everything in their life and and go to extremes in everything that they do right that type of person generally is attracted to unless they have a significant amount of self-awareness mm-hmm. or a good therapist <laughs> they're generally attracted to the type of yoga that's super intense right. whether it's like you know heated yoga or a type of power based practice or a really strong muscular practice that involves a lot of difficult poses, Mm -hmm. arm balances and inversions. Yeah. Because that person feels most at home when they're pushing the edge. Right. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But if that gets taken, if that person practices regularly, Mm -hmm. they exacerbate 
a heat condition, they might uh-huh. end up with higher blood pressure. They might end up with, um, you know, headaches. They might mm-hmm. end up with adrenal fatigue. They might end up with a kind of mm-hmm. um, nervous disorder. Right. And and then wonder, well, I thought yoga was good for me, but why why did it have this effect? Mm-hmm. And what I've seen often is that people don't even make the connection that the yoga is assumed to be all good. Right. And that it's applied across the board. Mm-hmm. The, the notion that there would be a, a drawback to it or a risk to it is it doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is where we miss the boat in terms of asana can't be universally applied to all people in all situations and be considered you know, good or healthy even. Right. Right. And, but we don't have a cosmology for that in our, in our culture. Exercise is just exercise. Right. Whereas in the Eastern traditions, it's not, it's not understood that way. Exercise is like, it would be like saying all herbs are good for all people. Right. 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 Well, there's a whole like theoretical model. There's a bunch of principles that are, that exist around the practice. For example, Ayurveda understanding constitution, like you're saying, heat, you know, person who has a hot type, already who has an imbalance in that direction on top of it shouldn't do something that aggravates that particular constitution. Yeah. Right. Kind of, if you had the cosmology, that would be obvious. And on top of that, if you had appropriate um, amount of encouraged self-reflection and self-awareness in the practice too, you might notice that happening before it turns really bad Mm -hmm. versus just pushing, pushing, pushing. You mean like if the person's practicing and they have some view teachings on how to reflect on what's going on when they do the practice. They would right. tell their teacher, hey, I'm getting too hot Yeah. and adjust as they go. Right, that as well as just the self-awareness, right? Because we were earlier talking a little bit about bringing awareness to the experience. So if you're paying attention, if you're not just obsessing over getting the shape right, but also paying attention to how it's feeling and what your joints are going through, how your energy levels are throughout the weeks and months as you're practicing, the type of transformations that you're experiencing in and out of the practice, and you're watching the overall sort of biorhythm of the body and the sensations and the mind, I think you can kind of spot when things start to fall out of balance. Like after, for example, years ago when I was teaching a lot of intense power flow type of classes, I started experiencing a really intense burning sensation in my spine every time I would stop, you know, after I teach class. And I'm like, whoa, there's something going on here. And I just started looking closer at my practice. And as I adapted my practice, started doing less backbends, doing my backbends less intensely, you know, minimized upward dogs and actually did more cobra and made sure I did a lot of counter poses and slowed down my practice and my teaching, it went away. Mm. You know, um, who knows what it was? Maybe it could have been something else, but, you know, it stopped. And I wonder if I didn't stop and it didn't heat to the messages that I was getting, you know, would I have created an injury long term? Mm. Right? Yeah. So that sort of self-reflective questioning, awareness in the body as you're practicing being mindful kind of helps prevent injuries. And I think sort of helps you develop that inner intelligence. I think what you did differently there than Mm -hmm. what I've seen often happen in in classes is that you felt something going on in your body. You tracked it, registered it, inquired into it, Mm -hmm. gained some understanding. Then you took another step, which was that you adjusted what you were doing and then observed the results. Right. And I think that model, mm-hmm. that model is mm-hmm. totally built into all arts that come from the East, whether mm-hmm. it's swordmanship or archery or calligraphy or tea. Right. It's the view method result model, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's this trinity mm-hmm. that you have an understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then you have a technology, a method, and then you do it. 
and then you look at what happens and you mm -hmm. analyze what happens and then you change it slightly reapply your technique and see what happens and you keep going back and forth right right, right. And, and but this takes a lot of kind of self-confidence you know, in a sense, I think what often happens is that yoga teachers, let me not go off on a rant about this, but yoga <laughs> teachers often learn a set of poses, right? And they have 200 hours of training or 300 hours of training or, mm -hmm. you know, 500 hours of training. It's all a relatively small amount of training. Yeah. And, and a skill set that is applied kind of to a population in a group class situation mm -hmm. where everyone's got to follow the same sequence right, right, and you right. got to get everybody through that sequence yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can't track and monitor what every person is feeling right. and the students don't, there often isn't an, a lot of time taken to empower students with that yeah. self-awareness knowledge. I mean, I yeah. know you do it at the beginning of every class. I do it at the beginning of every class, but I haven't seen that happening in a lot of yoga classes. It's like you right, jump right in. Right, right, and right. so now the students can't be held accountable in a way for tracking their own inner experience and then adjusting the practice because in a sense, yoga teachers are driving the class forward. Right. We have to get onto the next pose. We have to complete the sequence. You finished yeah. variation A, you got to get to variation B. And people often, the yoga student often outsources their own innate wisdom mm. to the teacher. Yeah. And they're yeah. not actually paying attention. Right. And that's when injury happens. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, totally. So in short, it's like, it's really important to help students cultivate that inner awareness and encourage them to do so, give them the tools to do so and the method, as well as give them some, you know, theory or view teachings that they can reference between their own experience and the, and the theory and see where they're at, what's happening. And because the view teachings and the theory also gives you what to look for, what to watch out for, yeah. and where to adjust if something's happening too. And I think that kind of information is sometimes lacking as well, just even on a physical level. You mm -hmm. know, if you're experiencing this kind of pain, watch out. There tends to be injuries that happen here, so look out for it. What are you experiencing coming back to that? You mm -hmm. know? So. Can you give just a specific example so people can, mm -hmm. like, like a physical example in a pose of like yeah. a sensation that would indicate an injuries, your body's saying stop or a sensation that mm -hmm. is. Yeah. If you're in a lunge and if you're experiencing a lot of pain or sharpness in the front of the knee in the lunge, cause your knee's too far forward. That's a more In the front leg. Yeah. Yeah. Back off, you know, okay. or if your knee's falling inward towards the middle line and you're experiencing sharp pains on the inside of the knee another marker stop, you know, okay. um, if you're feeling a lot of compression in the lower back and any back bend, I think that's a sign to back off and readjust your technique. Cause I think, um, you know, that all the yoga back bends can be done without generating that pain. Mm -hmm. If you do other things, you know, in, in the posture, like firm up the core, create more elongation to the spine, etc. Mm -hmm. use appropriate props. So, so pain in the joints in or around the joints is usually an indication that the body's saying, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think it's intelligent to load the joints. Like even in downward dog, when you dip the shoulders too low and you're, you know, severely stressing the upper shoulders or the rotator cuff or anything like that, I mm -hmm. think you'll feel a sharp pain there. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's good pain, you no. know, in the joint itself. Yeah. So that's a sign, for example. Yeah. And then how about a, a discomfort sensation that's like your body is growing and your body, it's a good a good type of pain. I think this is a big topic because right, the no pain, right. no gain exercise yeah. philosophy definitely mm -hmm. influences yoga. Yeah. And I never had a teacher in India or China or Tibet 
even imply that there should be any pain whatsoever. Mm. Definitely not the no pain, no gain philosophy. Right, right. I learned that from all Western, my Western influence teachers. Yeah, yeah. So where is, when is discomfort or kind of pain? <laughs> we both want to avoid the question. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to follow the answer I mean, it's something... What about a, an intense stretching sensation in, in your hamstrings and a forward bend? Yeah, yeah. I don't feel it in my lower back. I don't feel it in my joints. But in the belly of my hamstring, I feel a right. kind of intense stretching sensation. What's your take on that? I think... I mean, the way that I used to practice was that I would move into that pain a lot. And this mm -hmm. was when I was younger, you know. And luckily, I, never, I didn't come out with too many big injuries. I think you can experience some pain. Um, I wouldn't look for pain and force it, you know, and I would work on creating softness by breathing and, and easing into it versus pushing into postures to generate pain and pursue pain mm -hmm. at this stage in my practice. Like, I think sometimes pain just comes, you know, when you're growing in a posture and you're evolving in it, I think sometimes pain can arise when you encounter areas of resistance in the connective tissue mm -hmm. or in the body. Um, I believe in carefully and mindfully encountering the pain and working with it, um, but with, you know, with feedback, like getting feedback, feeling it out, being intelligent about it versus just pushing and pursuing pain or avoiding pain altogether completely. Um, but that's just my approach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same. I think it's a, we both tend to be on the side of gentle application mm -hmm. um, but I know that that idea of intense stretch sensation in the in the big muscle groups is something that's you know okay yeah. or looked for or um, pushed into in a lot yeah. of in a lot of ways I, yeah. I haven't found it to be that effective for me because mm -hmm. it just creates more tension mm -hmm. and I've definitely erred on the side of of pushing too much, especially when I was yeah. in my twenties, right, because I was just really intense. <laughs> yeah, and I totally. thought if you if you just apply more effort and you mm -hmm. add intensity, you'll get further in less time. Yeah, but it actually didn't work out that way. No, for no, me. It, I didn't yeah. really get the benefit. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I don't know if that's just my body. My body tends to be more sinewy and a little bit tight, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. see people who have more of a kind of supple body. And if they don't kind of lean in a little bit, like yeah. they don't get anywhere near their edge. Yeah. And yeah. so maybe, you know, in those situations, right. some people need to turn it on a, a little bit. Like I think right. of in terms of Ayurvedic sure. classic sure. constitutions, yeah, right? Constitutions Someone kappa, who's yeah. very kappa yeah. might not get anywhere near their edge and sort of yeah. hang out yeah. and maybe need a little more sensation in the mm -hmm. muscles to get something moving. Totally. And, and so as you say that, like when I look at the practices that I'm teaching these days, I definitely lean towards um, not having pain. Mm -hmm. You know, like I actually encourage people to explore the practice. What is it like when you soften and create ease in the practice? And you're still lengthening things and opening things up, but completely relaxing and having ease and then hanging out in the posture for longer because there's more ease. And then what is that like? And what does that do to the body? And what does that do to your nervous system and your mind? And I think that's a really fascinating exploration um, and, and uh, experiment for a lot of people to try out because we tend towards pushing and yanking and forcing. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the body and 
like organic intelligence, you know, like it's interesting because I've actually gone back to doing some weightlifting and more intensive training too. And, but I always notice when do I injure myself? When I push, mm-hmm. when I force, you know, when I'm generating a lot of pain and aggravation or irritation in my nervous system, that's when things go haywire in my body. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm noticing that more and more as I get older, I'm still learning. And then when I take things more softly, more gently, things go really deep. Awareness opens up, softness and ease opens up in the body and mind is profound, you know? And I think that's a really cool exploration. And it's something that's not done so much because we're so oriented around uh, yoga from that Western calisthenics exercise perspective. Everything is go, 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 high pace, intensity, better, right? What's it like to slow down? What's it like to drop that agenda of quote unquote working out or pushing, right? Or forcing, what happens when you breathe and just look for ease? Like a spinal twist, when you twist without generating any excess compression, when you use props and bring your body in a position where you don't have to feel pinching or compression in the body and you just with ease rotate and you hang out there for a couple minutes and breathe and notice and feel and you stay present. There might be no pain in that posture and you come out, did that have no benefit? Right. This is the this is the big um, mm-hmm. challenge I think for people's mind who are yeah, used to it's intense an edge. sensation. It's an edge, right? To yeah. not get sensation is edgy. Yeah. Or, or I should yeah. say not get intense muscular sensation. Right. Um, yeah, that's a big that's a big challenge for for anyone who who has a lot of experience being very athletic with their mm-hmm. body. Yeah. When you ask them to do something like that, the the gross physical sensation decreases so much that the mind goes, well, if I'm not getting strong physical resistance or I'm not getting strong physical muscular contraction or strong stretch sensation, is there any point in doing this? Right. And therein lies the bridge between a pose and an asana. Mm -hmm. That's a, to me, that's a gap of cosmology. That's a gap of, of understanding what it is you're doing and why. Because just like you said, when you relax and you're not pushing and you're not forcing, you drop into this experience that is as equally intense. Mm-hmm. It's vivid, but it's not relegated to just a muscular kind of searing sensation yeah, of stretching the yeah. heck out of your your connective tissue. Totally. And there's a couple things going on there, right? One is like the unconscious, you could use and say unconscious because we're rarely aware of it, I think. Yeah. But our unconscious grasping towards sensa- intense sensation, mm-hmm. we're attached to it, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking for it. If we don't have it, what's the point? Right? We're heavily attached to that experience. And then simultaneously, if we can let go of that, then we might actually be able to cultivate more subtle awareness. Because the sensation is more subtle, the awareness and the mind know, learns how to slow down more and pay attention to subtle things that we may have not been able to notice before because it was being covered up by the more intense sensations. I think that that is a huge Mm-hmm. turning point in, in being able to apply asana exactly yeah. what you just said because yeah. your mind will only be able to focus on the sensation that it can register right so if you constantly train in gross sensations only mm-hmm. your mind can't register the subtle sensations even though they're happening in the same instant right. you can't pick them up it's like a it's like a sound wave that the ear can't hear. You don't register yeah. it even though it's there. Yeah. And so I think the, the whole idea of asana as seat of consciousness is that your consciousness is able to pick up more and more layers of experience 
mm-hmm. inside inside of your you know body mind right right and in a sense it's like a it's a positive feedback loop mm-hmm. in the sense that the sensations that are subtle will train you to pay attention to things that are more subtle yeah which will train you to pay attention to things that are more subtle right 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 right, right. it's like once you hook on to that mm-hmm. it, it, it in my kind of interpretation the path of yoga asana actually begins when we recognize that subtle sensation is happening and we relax into it and we stop trying to make something happen but we let yeah. the sensation show us right what's going on right. that moment is when the path actually uh, starts and everything else was kind of like prep- preparation yeah knocking at the door it's kind of like doing and imposing versus listening yeah like going from that active doing, making happen, looking for stimulation and turning into the receptive, paying attention, noticing, being with, shift, right? Yeah, absolutely. Way. It's a much more yin yeah. approach in the sense of not, you're not pushing your agenda. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. listening and responding. Yeah. It, and when I, just to clarify, when mm-hmm. I say yin, yeah, I don't mean yin yoga. Right. I mean yin as opposed to yang, the more, yeah. you know, sensitized receptive you know responsive aspect versus the directive uh more linear right response of course they're both there but our culture is so directive young you know ambition driven Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. for us to take one step toward a little bit more receptive intuitive in in application of intense physical exercise is Mm. a really big jump for us as cultural beings. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's that way everywhere in in the world that has been educated with the same scientific model, but it's mm-hmm. certainly that way. I've taught yoga in 15 countries mm-hmm. and that cosmology holds true everywhere mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. been. Yeah. The only place yeah. I saw it really, really different was Southeast Asia. Yeah, oh, interesting, right. Makes sense. And it's like yeah. the way people think and the way they move and, and the way that they be in their body creates mm. more suppleness. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's just a different way of, of being. Nice. Yeah. Well, like you're saying, different way of being, I feel like when you shift into that, when you're able to notice that grasping towards that extent stimulation and you're able to kind of help that soften enough that the subtle opens up and the receptive quality in the nervous system opens up Mm. that in itself is so profound right it just i feel like when i go there my mind and my whole body just develops ease and a peacefulness arises in that Mm -hmm. so when we talk about you know in yoga class we say shanti 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 right it's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) peace yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah well, I think it's um, if the starting point for application of asana w- within yoga classes was beginning with paying attention to the starting place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a change happening. I definitely have seen that at least in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we owe it some to the, to the growth of the mindfulness movement. But right, yeah, totally. you've seen more teachers are starting class with at least a few minutes of paying attention to your yeah. breathing, pay attention to yeah. your experience, how you're feeling, so that you can actually start connecting to your baseline before mm-hmm. you then begin to impose these, these 
postures that create intense sensation. Right, right. And then how to maintain the connection throughout the whole practice, I think, is Mm -hmm. the big, is the big, can you still do 90 minutes of vinyasa flow and stay soft, relaxed, and connected? In my experience, that's really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. The tendency to go to the trigger response of pushing is so easy and fun in a way. Yeah. So, <laughs> nice. so this could be a cool place to kind of pause and just like, it's a cool um, challenge, right? For maybe our listeners just to maybe try out, try just kind of look at that, right? Like find those qualities in your practice are, when are we pushing? When are we imposing these ideas on the body? When are we listening and paying attention and feeling? What is it like to just find softness in a posture and ease and relax into the experience versus trying to pursue intensity and sensation yeah and check the result like when people mm-hmm. when people happens. do that yeah do it let's say for like for a week or something right really make an effort to do that yeah. and then see what the result is see how yeah. you sleep see how you digest see how you mm-hmm. feel in your body see mm-hmm. how your mind is see what's going on emotionally and kind of do it scientifically in a sense yeah it could be really interesting nice awesome All right. Thanks, King. Yeah, man. See you next time. Uncensored. (laughs) Yoga. Uncensored.